Is Russia's war in Ukraine reaching a stalemate? It was his mistake to think that 150,000 personnel killed would stop Russia and would stop this war. Plus, Moscow's ties with Iran-backed militant group Hamas and how Putin hopes to benefit from the crisis in the Middle East. If the world is criticizing Israel, then Russia looks less like an outlier. The criticism of the world of Russia and its operations in Ukraine is sort of watered down. And later in the program, the daunting task of demining in Ukraine in what's expected to take many, many years. Today is Thursday, November 2nd. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Lori London in Washington. Ukraine's top military commander says the country's war with Russia is moving toward a new stage of static and attritional fighting, a phase that could allow Moscow to rebuild its military power. General Valery Zaluzhny's article in The Economist comes almost five months into a major Ukrainian counteroffensive that has not made a serious breakthrough against heavily mined Russian defensive lines. I spoke with Anna Chernikova for further insight on what the general had to say. Ukraine's top military commander has been uh, making some comments to several media outlets talking about how, you know, the conflict seems to be moving toward an impasse. I know Russia's disputing that. What are you hearing? Of course, Ukraine is discussing this latest interview by Valery Zaluzhny that basically demonstrates his latest opinions on what's happening at the front line. Basically, Ukraine and Russia just reached a phase when neither Ukrainian side nor Russian side can advance and can show big advance at any part of the front line. And this is what he's saying, that basically Ukraine needs more technologies, first of all, in order to prevail over Russia and in order to prevail in particular sectors of military equipment and in general military strategy. So basically he's emphasizing that for Ukrainian army it's important to get not only equipment but also technologies and he believes that technology is basically what the future of this as a modern war. And also what's important to mention here, I think that he, he told about a mistake that he did. He said, I will quote, it was my mistake. Russia lost at least 150,000 personnel in those killed. And in any other country, such losses would have stopped the war, he said. Uh, however, in Russia, again, as he's mentioning also in his comment that in Russia, this number is something that was not even even considered as critical. That it was his mistake to think that 150,000 people killed, personnel killed, would stop Russia and would stop this war. And Putin focuses on the First and Second World Wars as an example when Russia lost tens of millions of people. Again, he is saying that any other country would have stopped the war already, having such huge number of people killed. And I know he, he was very concerned that, that Ukraine should not get into the trap of a prolonged war. Yeah, also he's mentioning that basically this ta- the time longer it takes, worse for Ukraine, and it's important not to lose this crucial time. And uh, again, the most important is technology and equipment and to get it on time. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kiev. We thank you so much. Thank you. The debate in Washington over funding for Ukraine and Israel continues. New House Speaker Mike Johnson has indicated he wants aid for Israel to be a standalone agreement, not the package 
package President Biden has requested, which would include funding for both conflicts. After meeting with Johnson, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries told reporters he feels emergency support for Ukraine will eventually get passed. He has publicly indicated that he supports funding the Ukrainian war effort and recognizes that it is in America's national security interest to stop Vladimir Putin. Associated Press correspondent Jennifer King has more on what the new House Speaker is signaling as his priorities after aid for Israel. In a private get-to-know-you lunch with Republican senators Wednesday, Speaker Mike Johnson said the House will consider a fresh aid package for Ukraine. He wants to link it to more funding for security at the U.S. southern border. He says he's also working on a stopgap measure to prevent a looming government shutdown. That's as soon as lawmakers wrap up a $14.5 billion aid package for Israel. Some Republican senators oppose more funding for Ukraine. Johnson told the senators Ukraine needs the aid as it battles Russia, but there's no way President Biden's $106 billion funding request could be passed. Meanwhile, Democratic leaders say Johnson's Israel-only approach is dead on arrival. House Leader Hakeem Jeffries spoke to reporters after his own meeting with Johnson yesterday. He indicated that that was the approach that he was going to take. He understands, you know, our views on that. Jennifer King, Washington. The Biden administration maintains Israel's war with Hamas and Russia's war on Ukraine are inherently linked from a national and global security perspective. Moscow has maintained ties with Hamas. For analysis, I spoke with Claire Finkelstein, professor of law and philosophy at the University of Pennsylvania and faculty director for its Center for Ethics and the Rule of Law. Claire, we've been hearing a lot of debate in Congress over funding for Ukraine now that Israel's war is really ramping up. Secretary of State Antony Blinken was really trying to make the case to a Senate committee for why it's so important to support Ukraine as well as Israel. And of course, we've been hearing more and more about Russian ties with Iran, which backs Hamas and which has dramatically deepened its cooperation with Iran since launching its full-scale invasion of Ukraine in February of 2022. What does all of this mean for Russia's invasion of Ukraine? Yeah, well, thanks so much, Laurie, and thanks for having me. On Tuesday, Secretary of State Antony Blinken said to the Senate Appropriations Committee that this is all one fight, that the fight of Ukraine and the fight of Israel, that these fights are inexorably linked. Now, why would he say that? He would say that because Russia's relationship with Iran is a crucial piece of the puzzle here, and that Iran is, of course, supporting Hamas. We know that. So we have a kind of axis of powers here, and really Ukraine and Israel are on the same side in that fight. How does Putin stay neutral, though, with what seems to be Russia's non-combative relationship with Israel? Well, Putin has already made clear that he is not neutral in this fight. He has already said that Israel has gone beyond the bounds and complained, Putin of all people, complained that Israel is attacking innocent civilians in Gaza. That ought to be something that Putin himself should take to heart with regard to Ukraine. So it's very clear that Putin is not on Israel's side, though Putin did suggest that Russia could play a mediating relationship here. There is no way that Russia can be regarded as a disinterested party. So what does Russia stand to gain from Israel's war with Hamas? Or is it simply that it it, it would appear Moscow hopes to deflect Western attention and resources away from Ukraine by cultivating more global pressure and distraction? 
I think you're absolutely right that there's a distraction factor here that Putin may be hoping that the world stops paying attention to the Ukraine fight. But I think there's something else, which is Israel is, of course, very, very frequently criticized for its treatment of Palestinians. It's very heavily criticized right now for its operations in Gaza. And the self-defense message is very often not understood. The fact that Hamas uses human shields, etc. And Putin gains a great deal from this because if the world is criticizing Israel, then Russia looks less like an outlier. The criticism of the world of Russia and its operations in Ukraine is sort of watered down. So what are the implications globally if Congress does not continue to approve funding for Ukraine? It's looking a little bit less bleak, but what would you say would be the global implications if we do not continue to support Ukraine? As came out very clearly in the testimony before the Appropriations Committee on Tuesday, um, Ukraine would not have survived this far over a year into the conflict if the U.S. had not been supplying funds. So there is no question that U.S. support has been critical to keeping Ukraine as an independent nation and to holding Russia at bay. So Congress ought to ask itself, how do we feel about a world in which Ukraine is overrun? How do we feel about a world in which democracy in Europe, uh, independent, sovereign democracy cannot protect itself against an authoritarian state? And nothing less than that is at issue in the Ukraine conflict. So I think that's a very, very bright line. And the Biden administration has been absolutely clear about the critical importance of defending Ukraine under these circumstances. Claire Finkelstein, professor of law and philosophy at the University of Pennsylvania and faculty director for its Center for Ethics and the Rule of Law. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. Clearing hidden explosives across Ukraine is critical to its war efforts and its future. Ukraine is the most heavily mined country in the world, and it will take years to address. I spoke with VOA Eastern Euro Chief Miroslava Gungadze in Ukraine on what she learned and witnessed in a recent visit to a demining site. Demining is a critical issue across the country, one that is a problem that will probably be lingering for decades. It's a painful challenge. Tell us about what your experience was, where you went, and, and what you saw. First, uh, Lori, I would uh, like to say that uh, Kharkiv region uh, that we visited in the couple, last couple of days, uh, right now is the very dangerous area at the northern east of Ukraine bordering Russia. And right now, uh, for the past few weeks, the Russian forces have been conducting intensive shelling of Kharkiv region. And the night we went uh, there, uh, Russian troops actually launched a serious missile attack. It uh, looks like it was Iskander missile on the city of Izum in the region and the civilian targets and specifically state emergency service of Ukraine was damaged this time and six people were injured and many equipment was destroyed and the building was destroyed of state emergency services. So we learned about it when we were at the training station for the miners 
containers and Ukraine has a couple of special areas and places where they train their specialists to the mine and we learn how uh, this process is going while Ukraine is in the war and we visited uh, area in Balaklia the Kharkiv region that town was dividing line between Russian and Ukrainian forces and retreating Russians left uh, the land contaminated with mines and other explosives mm. and now Ukrainian emergency teams meter after meter are cleaning this territory using every available equipment and they don't have much they don't have machines a lot of the mining are done by hands in almost two years of the war Ukraine has become the world's most mined country hmm. So this is a serious issue. And I, I understand that as part of the training, they are doing test explosions, test mine explosions? Yes, they do. And that's where we witness the tests and and uh, like controlled explosions uh, of mines. And they showed us those mines. And the problem is that, uh, I mean, the, 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 there are so many, hundreds and hundreds type of mines that we saw at the training station. And uh, what they explained to us that the issue is that there is uh, the, the the Russians are not following any convention of uh, how to put mines in in the land, so it's very difficult to detect them right now. And according to the Ukrainian government accounts, 174,000 square kilometers or one third of the country's territory needs to be checked for explosives. And this issue, contamination of Ukrainian land with mines and and other explosives, is not just danger to people people and to animals, it's destroying ecosystems. And mm. it's a danger to food security, not only in Ukraine, in the world. It's deepening, deepening the, the problem of hunger because Ukrainians cannot work on the land and grow crops. Hmm. And you had a chance to catch up with one of the, the demining training people. Is that correct? Yes. We talked to the old leader, the miners and the, the head of the state uh, emergency service and trainers. We saw trainers from Great Britain, from Kosovo there. And I specifically talk about generally about of this issue with the Lithuanian government representative, the Lithuanian embassy, and Lithuania is leading the European Union effort of the mining of Ukraine. They already placed $20 million to deal with this issue, but they told me, and he told me particularly, that that would take much, much more money, resources, equipment, and training to actually demand the territory and depending on the resources it can take from 10 to 100 years uh, to do mm. this work wow VOA Eastern Europe Bureau Chief Miroslava Gungadze, who also had a chance to speak with Tomas Matovesias with the Lithuanian Embassy in Ukraine. Here's a bit of their conversation. So, Lithuanian government is leading uh, the effort for the mining of Ukraine. Can you assess the issue of a mining problem in Ukraine? The issue of mining and demining, I would say, is really actual at the moment. Why? Because uh, as far as we know, the most lands of now which are undermined, there is like a land for farmers. So, it impacts, I would say impact directly the economies of Ukraine because the farmers needs to land, needs to use the land. So, And the problem is uh, actual why. There is a lot of land first, a lot of uh, cities, a lot of villages which really needs to be undermined. And the efforts which we are now and uh, I would say international coalition are giving and doing for Ukraine is not enough 
for the moment, but it's just the beginning. And in the future, we hope that it will be more tools, more methods, more financial instruments, and the more, I would say, funds or the government will join the coalition. And in order to reach the whole to the mine all Ukraine territory, we need to understand that it's a common purpose and common efforts. Uh, you mentioned uh, farmland. Right now, uh, you are focusing on the, the mining of civilian territories, not in the front line, because the front line is the issue as well, how to move forward with with counteroffensive operation in the mining. Do you work with the military as well? We need to understand that the mining is like a two ways, like a military mining and humanitarian mining. The military mining is making the armed forces of Ukraine by themselves. And they are receiving some kind of tools as well from, for example, from European Peace Facility. Money, it was already one of the projects was done by Lithuania and Central Project Management Agency this year. It begins like a two years ago, but it was now it's done almost. All equipment which was required for the armed forces of Ukraine is delivered. And they are doing by themselves. But when the armed forces of Ukraine, of, for example, leaving the villages or the towns or the territories, then starting the humanitarian mining and the other institutions like special transport service, national police and the SNS is going there and making their job as well. So it's military mining is just a half of the job which we it has to be done. And after that, starting, as I told, the humanitarian mining. So we are working in both things. But the European Commission and Europe delegation is working with the humanitarian mining and we have as well launched the project first of the 20 million dollars now or euros and we are working on that as well. That's the, what I mean that three these governmental institutions of Ukraine now are receiving the equipment which they really need to fulfill the orders and the functions as well. Uh, you uh, mentioned 20 million but you mentioned that Ukraine would need much more than that. What is your assessment? The 20 million of the money of the UDL and the European Commission is just, is just the beginning. You know that we have a lot of bilateral even cooperations like a country to country helping to Ukraine, Canada, Korea, Japanese and other countries, you know. But uh, I would say about the official institutions of Europe, they are just the beginning and launching some kind of programs, I would say. The 20 million is just the beginning and we cannot assess now how many of money and how many of time we need that. It depends on a lot of reasons. For example, how many specialists we will prepare, how many techniques we will have, how many remote control techniques we will have, drones and etc. It's like a complex, I would say, approach to the demining it has to be done. And not just from the bilateral side, but as well from the institutions of Europe as well. So basically what you're doing right now, you're basically temporarily starting the mining when the war is going on. And after the war, it would be a bigger project to actually assess the real needs, right? Yes, yes. Actually, we need to understand that, for example, when the armed forces of Ukraine is releasing the territories, the people and the inhabitants would like to come back and live. So we need to demine and to prepare the land, the houses, the civilian infrastructure for them to come back to the places where they belong, actually. And it's really important. So even the wartime, we cannot like say that we will start the mining process after the war. We need to do it now because the life is going on here and uh, the life didn't stop and the war cannot stop that. So the process and I would say money and the equipment needs to be bought now because the problem is that we can have a money, but for example, some kind of equipments we cannot just buy in the market because it's not enough in the market, international market at all. So we need to wait, for example, from one year to the one and a half year in order to build up that equipment because it's a really special one. 
And what is the specifics of this war maybe different from the other wars in terms of mining? Actually, the equipment, we need to understand that it became from the personal equipment first. That, for example, when the guy is starting and doing by himself, like from the hands, from all kinds of communication things, from all kinds of the metal detectors. And after that, we are raising up a little bit to some kind of smart equipment, I would say. Drones, which can flow and look where the mine is, how to detect them. And after that, the docking machines. The docking machines is, the, I would say, the most sophisticated thing and it's like a most heavy to receive it because there are not a lot of company in the world or Europe which I can then produce. So we need to wait because the demand of the mining over the world, it was all the time, but it was not the quantities like it's now in Ukraine. What we can say about and if we are comparing like mined lands now in Ukraine and for example when it was in Kosovo, in Croatia, etc. Principles is the same actually, but the quantity of the mines and the, how the Russians are putting them, for example, combining, I would say, you know, it can be like a three, four mines in one line, I would say. And if you are taking one mine, it can be as well explode the second and the third one. So they're using a lot of different, and I would say, of course, it's not under the convention. So we are just learning all the time. We can now declare that in the world there are no specialists all over better than Ukrainians now are doing in the lands because it's no example, like a totally general example from the other wars or the other mine territories. So we are learning and now we are teaching and we can teach the world and we can share these lessons as well. Tomas Matelovicius, economic attaché of the Lithuanian embassy in Ukraine, speaking with VOA Eastern Europe Bureau Chief Miroslava Gungadze. The family of Anna Neshaporak owns a dairy farm in the Kalmitsky region of western Ukraine in a village where only eight residential houses remain occupied. When Anna's husband went to fight, she was left to maintain the farm alone. Tatiana Kukrika has her story narrated by Anna Rice. Who is so handsome? Who is such a good boy? Some three years ago, a farm would be the last place Anna Nichiparuk would have imagined she'd be. I'm definitely a city person. I was born in Vinitsia and grew up there. I came here to the country for the first time in the spring of 2020. But Nichiparuk and her husband Taras fell in love with the tiny village of Skar and decided to stay and revive Taras's family farm. Today, they have cows. I want to make sure the cows have as much freedom as they need. I want them to be comfortable. After Russia invaded Ukraine, the couple added domestic fowl to the farm. And while their bird numbers are growing, they've sold over half their cows since Russia invaded. In October, my husband enlisted and he left for the front lines on December 1st. It was a rough winter for me. I still mostly a city girl and had to chop wood, get water to the cows, the water freezes. Friends and her husband's family help Anna manage the farm. Her mother has moved from Vinitsa to Zgar as well to help her daughter while her son-in-law is on the front lines. I cried so hard when he was leaving. I was so worried. I pray for him all the time. I just want everything to be fine. I want all of our guys to come back for the war to end. In the first days of the war, the family would help accommodate internally displaced Ukrainians at the farm. Three families lived here. I don't know how we all fit, but we made it work. I was glad I got to meet so many people. I still keep in touch with many of them. 
This past summer, Anna hosted kids of some displaced families at the farm. That's when she had an idea to turn the farm into some sort of an emotional rehabilitation venue. That's my dream, something I really want to do. I want to make Zgar a tourist attraction and host people here, give them a retreat. Next year, she might organize a campsite at the farm. And when her husband finally gets home, they hope to do their best to turn the farm into a local tourist gem. For Tatiana Kukurika in Khmelnytsky region, Ukraine, NRI's VOA News. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world, 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just follow VOA News. On behalf of all of us here at VOA, we thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Lori London. Washington, Papa, Fozet, D.C.